Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand with which he had taken from to- with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of God. My prayer for today's sermon, but really our whole gathering, is that before you leave this place today, you will say to God what Isaiah just said, here am I, send me. That we would be a people, a church on mission. So let's pray, even as we prepare to look at this passage and ask for God to do that among us today. Our God, we thank you for gathering us in this place, both in person, but also those joining on YouTube We thank you that as we gather, you're with us, that you're for us, and that you invite us into the most exhilarating life possible, a life with you on mission. And so by the power of your spirit today, I pray that you'd move in such a way, move through my words, so that we individually, but also as a people, would say to you, here we are, send us. We pray this together in Jesus' name, amen. One of the very first people that God ever asked to follow him was called Abraham. You can read about his story in the first book of the Bible. And when God came to Abraham, God said to him, I want you to follow me. I will be with you and I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. In other words, what we see from that very early instance of God calling a person to follow him was that the reason they were going to experience his blessing, his presence, was so that they in turn could make that presence known in their world. And that's always the pattern of the Bible. God draws us in to send us out. That's what we've been talking about for four weeks in Isaiah chapter 6. This is our vision series here at Reality Church London. And we've been talking what it means to be a people who are pursuing encounter with God that leads to mission for God. How are we a people who have such a deep experience of God's presence that it inevitably transforms us into a people that make him known in this city? And that's what we're focusing on specifically today. What does it mean to be on mission with God What does it mean to be sent out into the world as his representative? 
to play your part in helping God's kingdom come to London and in this world, even as it is in heaven. So my prayer for the sermon today is that we would all say to God, here am I, send me. But I want to tell you up front, the purpose of this sermon is not primarily to describe what mission looks like, or to say it differently, what are the ways in which you can serve God in the city? We've actually talked quite a lot about that as a church over the past year. We've talked about how you can serve God in community, how you can serve God in your workplace or at your job or in your vocation, paid or unpaid. We've talked a lot about how you can serve God and make him known by using your words to share the good news of Jesus with others. That's all mission. But today's sermon is not so much about how to be on mission. It's actually more about what Isaiah experienced. Such a radical encounter with the glory and the holiness of God that he as a person was transformed so that serving God in the world became the absolute passion of his life. I think if we're honest, many of us would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I come to church, I'm interested in God, but the north star of my life, the, the captivating passion is not making God known, it's something else. That's because we haven't experienced God fully enough. When you experience God the way Isaiah does, what we've been talking about for the past three weeks the abiding central passion of your life becomes, here am I, send me. Send me into the city, send me into the world, send me into my flat, send me into my job, send me wherever you want to be about your purpose, your mission. And so that's our sermon today. What did Isaiah experience that caused the mission of God to become the greatest passion of his life? And this sermon has five points If you're normally here, it's a three-pointer, but today it's five points. And because it's five, I'm going to give you each point as we go, rather than all of them up front. Point number one, what are we learning about how to become a people who are passionate about mission? Here's the first thing, God wants to use you. It's a wonder of grace that I'm able to stand here to say, God is on mission in this world. God wants to accomplish his purposes in this world, and he wants to use you. And here's why that's so wondrous. Here's why that's such grace. Earlier in the passage, remember we read, and Naya just read it again, we talked about this a lot two weeks ago, that the presence of God, he's so holy, he's so other, he's so majestic, that there is an undefined number of angels who circle the throne in ceaseless praise. And we talked about how these angels are perfect. They're powerful. They're excellent. And the wonder of wonders is that God, who has these perfect, powerful angels at his disposal, doesn't send them to do the mission. But he's actually looking for people like Isaiah, people like you, even someone like me imperfect, flawed, forgetful, selfish, and broken. God, as he wants to accomplish his purposes in the world, doesn't turn to the angels, though he could. He doesn't even do it himself, though he could. But he wants the Isaiahs, the people of this world. He wants you. Every Saturday, 
Esme and I make pancakes together. Esme is our two-and-a-half-year-old. And if you've ever had a child help you with household chores or cooking, you know that their help often isn't all that helpful. So every Saturday as we're making pancakes, here's what happens. We start and there's enthusiasm, there's orderliness. And before long, there's pancake batter on the counter, on the wall. My daughter's much more interested in eating the chocolate chips than putting them into the batter. She makes a big mess. It's not efficient or productive for me to have her help me make pancakes. And yet, every Saturday, I invite her in to the mission of making strawberry and chocolate chip pancakes. Why? Because I love her more than I love comfort and convenience. And I want her to share in my joy. And it's a wonder of grace that God says, I'm on a mission to make my glory known in this world. And I want to use you. Even though we, like my daughter, are often slowing it down and getting in the way. And we get so easily distracted and we often fall short. And yet God says, because I love you and because I know that there's nothing more life-giving and joy-giving than for you to give yourself to me, I'm inviting you. I want you to join me in the mission of helping people in this city experience glory, my glory. So that's the first thing to see. It's a wonder of grace that God says, I want to use you. Second point, not only does God want to use you, but therefore, secondly, mission requires a personal response. Being on mission with God requires a personal response. When God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? God's saying, I want to accomplish my work in the world. Who can I use? And Isaiah doesn't say, there they are, send them. He says, here am I, send me. Why? Because mission always requires a personal response and personal commitment. But many of us don't actually think that God wants to use us or can because we feel too inadequate. We feel like we don't know enough, we're not smart enough, our spiritual lives are too inconsistent. And so we're thankful that someone else is making God known in the world, but we don't think God can or would want to even use us. What this passage reminds us, what this passage is calling us to see, is not only does God want to use you, but it requires you offering yourself up in service to him. To say, here am I, send me. And what we're learning, this personal commitment, this personal response, the reason why it matters so much is because I don't mean this in a self-helpy kind of way, but in a way that honors the image of God and his unique work in your life. There is no one like you. There's no one who has your combination of backgrounds and experiences and temperament. There's no one else who lives where you live or who I mean, I know it's London, so you have flatmates, but stay with me. Who lives where you live, who works where you work, who has the families that you have. In other words, all those unique things about you, they're not accidents. They're the places God is sending you. God has put you at your job. God has put you in your flat. God has put you in this season, maybe even of suffering and hardship, to use you in that space 
And he says, who can I send? Who will go for us? And he invites you to say, here am I, send me. Because I can uniquely be deployed into spaces that no one else can. I can uniquely represent God in my job, in my community, with my family, in this season of suffering. So God, here am I, send me. And you know, many of us, as I've already said, when God asks the question, we say, oh, I'm so glad there are people on this stage or the leaders in the church that they're doing God's work, but God can never use me. I don't know enough. I'm inconsistent. I'm not spiritually mature. Do you know how many people in the Bible, when God invited them onto mission, said to God first, no, thank you. I'm thinking this morning, for example, of the prophet Jeremiah. God comes to the prophet Jeremiah and says, I'm sending you, I'm calling you to be my representative in the world. And Jeremiah says this to God, alas, I don't know how to speak. I'm not eloquent enough. And I'm too young. No one's going to take me seriously. Jeremiah is saying, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough experience. I'm not smart enough. And listen to how God responds. Don't say that I'm too young. You must go to everyone that I send you and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them because I'm with you and I will rescue you. And then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth and he said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. What's the point? God's invitation comes. It's only your job to respond. It's God's job to make you equipped. You are not sufficient for the task by yourself, neither am I. All I can do is offer myself and say to God, use me however you can. But it's God's job to equip. It's God's job to put his words in the prophet's mouth. It's God's job to work through you. What we can do is offer up ourselves and surrender and say, I can commit to the mission. So God wants to use you, but it requires a personal commitment. And third, God wants all of you. Or another way to say it is, mission starts with surrender. Mission starts with surrender. When God says, if God said to me, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? You know what I probably would say in my natural self? Where are we going? How long is it going to take? What do you want me to do? When God comes to Isaiah and says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Wherever you want me to go, whatever it takes, whatever the cost. And you know why Isaiah says that? Because just a few verses earlier, he saw God in all of his glory and holiness. He saw God in all of his majestic beauty. He saw the one who was so holy that the angels never stopped praising him. And the bigger Isaiah's vision of God was, the more he realized if that God is holy, 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 The only proper logical response to that God is to give yourself wholly to him. This is not a God you bargain with. This is not a God that you have a contract with. I will pray and I will serve you and God, you will do X, Y, and Z for me. This is a God that you surrender completely to. 
This is a God that you give your whole self to and you hold nothing back. So when God invites Isaiah onto mission, he doesn't tell him where he's going to go. He doesn't tell him how long it's going to take. He doesn't even tell him what it's going to cost. But Isaiah surrenders him whole self. Surrender is the foundation of mission. And friends, this is a challenge for us. Because many of us like the idea of God being a part of our life. But there are some parts of our life that we don't want his hands to get into. There are some things that we'd rather not have him involved with. How we use our money, maybe. Or the things we watch online. Or the way we use our sexuality. Or the way we think about power. Say, yeah, God, you're over here, but I don't want you in these parts of my life. And what Isaiah is realizing is if this God is really as big as I think he is, the only way you can respond to him is total surrender. To pray, as we said in week one of our series, not my will, but yours be done. Scariest prayer, most life-giving prayer you could ever pray. Not my will, but yours be done. Or in one of the hymns we sometimes sing, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Whatever that means, whatever it costs, wherever we go, I surrender. One of my heroes, Elizabeth Elliot, who lived this, who gave her life up in surrender to God and his purposes. When she was thinking once about surrender in the Christian life, she said this, one does not surrender a life in an instant. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered over a lifetime. So surrendering your life to God, even as Isaiah did, it's not a one and done thing. It's every day. It's every season of life. It's through every change and hardship, saying to God, not my will, but yours be done. Surrender is the foundation of mission. Fourth, God's strength shines in your weakness. God's strength shines in your weakness. God has called Isaiah, who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And then in verse 9, which wasn't read, but God says to Isaiah, go and tell or go and speak to this people. So the mission that God is giving to Isaiah is a mission of speaking. It's a mission of using his words to tell other people about who God is. And you know why that's so fascinating? We talked about this two weeks ago. But when Isaiah encounters the glory of God, he's humbled and he's exposed. And you know what he says? Verse 5 of the passage. Woe to me, I'm ruined. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. This is so key. Isaiah was a prophet. His job was to be a person who spoke, who used his words to help other people know about God. That was what he was an expert in. That's where he had his training. But when he sees the holiness of God, what he realizes, even the things that used to be my greatest assets, I now realize are totally broken, are things that I can't trust in. My greatest skill, I'm a professional speaker, even that is exposed as weakness in the presence of God. He can't trust in himself anymore. He feels undone. He feels exposed. He feels shame. He feels like he has nothing to offer. 
So God comes to him in verse 6 and 7, and God actually goes to that very place of brokenness, and God touches his mouth and says, I'm covering you with my grace, with the fire of sacrifice. I've touched your lips. And now I'm sending you to use those very lips that just felt broken, that just felt exposed and shame-filled to be my mouthpiece in the world. Do you know what this means? The things that you're most ashamed of in your life, the parts of your life that you feel like are the most broken, the parts of your story that are the hardest to talk about with other people, those are the things that God wants to use for his glory. Your areas of weakness are not impediments to the mission. They're the foundation for it. Why? Because the people who are the best at sharing grace are the people who have most profoundly experienced it. And so God wants to come to you in the broken places of your life so that as you experience his renewal and his healing in those places, you become an agent who can say to others, I know about God's grace. I know what it can do because I've experienced it firsthand. And that's why the apostle Paul would later say, God's strength is perfected in our weakness. So this morning, as you look at your life and you think about the parts of your life that you feel like are most broken, most ashamed, the parts of your life that God can never use, that's where he wants to start. That's where God's grace wants to come to you and eventually go through you. It's Isaiah's lips, the part of his life that he thought was most broken, that God says, that's what I'm going to use for my glory. And fifth, finally, what are we learning here about an encounter with God that leads to mission? Fifthly, personal renewal leads to corporate renewal. And another word for corporate renewal is revival. Personal renewal leads to corporate renewal or revival. In verse 5, when Isaiah confesses his sin, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He says also, and I live among a people of unclean lips. This nation is filled with people who are not honoring God with their words. And when God comes to Isaiah, God doesn't say to Isaiah, you're right, these people are terrible. Let's go save them. Let's go get them. God says, I'm going to start with you. But through your experiencing my grace, then yes, we'll turn to the city. We'll turn to the world. In other words, personal renewal starts with corporate renewal. It always works like that. God wants to do a work in London. But he's not going to do that work in London if he doesn't start right here in the house of God. So if you want to see God's glory made known in this city, if we want to be a church that sees a city alive, filled with wholeness and beauty and flourishing, if we want to see things like racism or injustice or inequity banished from our city, it's going to start because we experience God's healing and renewal in our own hearts. Personal renewal always leads to corporate renewal. If we want people in our city to pray and to cry after God and to seek him, it's because we're a church, because you're a person that seeks God and prays and lives for him. Personal renewal always leads to corporate renewal. God wants to start here today with you, with us. God's inviting you into this mission. And so the question becomes finally, well, 
How can we give ourselves to this? It's one thing to know all that, but how are we going to be transformed in the deepest part of our heart to be a people who live on mission with and for God? And the answer is, before you're sent on mission, you have to see that you were the mission. That God in Jesus Christ came on mission to save you. You see, even as I gave you all of those bits about what being on mission feels like, when I think ultimately about the perfect example of someone who lived for God perfectly, it's none other than Jesus Christ. You see, he's the ultimate one who came on mission to bring God's grace and healing into the world because he gives himself up in ultimate surrender, dying on the cross. He's the one who, as he died on the cross for you, that looked like weakness. It looked like shame. And yet God's strength was being perfected in that moment. And Jesus gives him whole self. He holds nothing back. In other words, the way that we become a people who are sent on mission is by seeing that we were the mission. That God in Jesus came to save us, to save you. And the more you see what Jesus has done, the more we become a transformed people who want to go out into the world to make that God known. The more you see the holy, holy, holy God in Jesus dying for you, the more you want to give yourself wholly to him. God says to you today, who can I send? Who will go for us? And the invitation is for us to respond and to say, here am I, send me. Here's how I want to close today's sermon, a little different than I normally do. In the 18th century, there was a man named John Wesley. He was a leader of a church. And he prayed a prayer that has since been passed on through the generations. And it was called a covenant renewal prayer. It was a way in which he gave voice to this instinct in his heart to surrender himself completely to God and to God's purposes in the world. And so what I want to do is I want to read this prayer, this covenant renewal prayer. And this is going to be the prayer I use to close our sermon today. And then in just a couple of minutes, Toyin, one of our church elders, is going to come and lead us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And during that portion, you're going to be able to say this prayer together as a church. But right now, if you're saying, yeah, I don't know exactly what it means, but I want to be used by God in this world. I want to live a life of consequence. I want to live to make God known. Then allow this prayer today to become your prayer. God, we say to you today, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing or put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Spirit, Thou art mine, and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I've made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. So God, use those words now to stir up an awakening 
and encounter with you. Help us to see your glory and to make that glory known, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.